Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Susan Ahern, who has had five near-death experiences, which we are going to learn about today. Susan, thank you for being my guest, and welcome. Oh, thank you, Jeff. I so appreciate you having me on tonight. All right, Susan, if you don't mind, let's just start with your NDEs in chronological order and go from there. Sure. Um, So the first one was when I was about seven years old, and um, I was the youngest or the smallest, I should say, in the neighborhood, and a group of us used to um, climb over the stockade fence behind my house and race as fast as we could up to the train tracks when we would hear the train coming. This must have been a nightmare for my mother. But this was a game that we used to play to see who could catch the train. I don't know why we did it, but anyways. Um, So I'm climbing up the fence, and I get knocked down, and I'm climbing up the fence, and I get knocked down again by another friend that's climbing over, and I'm the last one over the fence, and I lose my footing. And at the time I had a little hoodie sweatshirt on that was zippered up and I fell, I like rotated, tried to catch myself. And when I did, my hoodie got stuck. My hooded sweatshirt got stuck on the stockade fence and I couldn't move and it was choking me. And my little legs were trying to push up against the fence and I couldn't reach around because now you're all jammed up and I couldn't undo it. I wouldn't have been able to undo it anyways. And um, I I was struggling. I couldn't breathe. And I probably had about five minutes to figure out what to do. Uh, Where I was behind the the garage that we had, um, no one could see me from the house. My mother at that time was doing the dishes standing in the window doing the dishes and she couldn't see me she couldn't hear me I couldn't scream anyways because the air was is you know included so I all of a sudden this just this really peaceful feeling came over me and my little legs stopped kicking and I, I just surrendered to what it was it wasn't a mental thought of surrender it was just this wave of peace And I thought, well, I am going to try and call my mom in my brain. Somehow at seven years old, I knew I could, I could send a message to my mom through my mind and get her to come out behind the garage. And I kept saying, mom, come out behind the garage, come out behind the garage. And, um, and then everything just went dark. There was like a letting go feeling. And everything just went dark. I felt like I was transporting through this darkness. Um, I wasn't aware of anyone else there to come, you know, take me the way. There was no tunnel. There was nothing. It was just darkness. And 
And then I woke up in extreme pain. And when I was, when I woke up, I was on the grass about six feet away from the fence and my mother was shaking me. And in that moment is what brought me back. And she kept saying, oh, she was so mad. <laughs> she was scared. And, um, and she said that I was just the worst color purple she'd ever seen. And she never wanted to see purple again. It was very dramatic for her. And I, I can only imagine. But um, when we talked about it later, she had said, um, she said something, she, she was freaked out because she was like, something made me come out there, made me come out behind the, the garage. She didn't know what, she said she just stopped. She still had soap on her hands. She left the dishes, came out to the back of the garage and there I was. And I think that scared her the most was her tapping into that, that ESP or that um, additional maybe mother intuition, you may call it, but that freaked her out more than I think me being home. <laughs> but so that was the first of my, um, my near death experiences. Now, and I don't really, you know, back then we didn't go to the doctors, you know, we didn't go there. So as long as I was okay, I remember my, my throat being really sore. I had a marker across my neck that all went away. And as long as I wasn't bleeding, I think I was fine. Right. It's amazing that your your connection with her was enough and strong enough to get her to actually hear you or feel you and come out. Did she just tell you that she had a feeling or did she hear a voice or anything? She said I and she did she said she heard a voice or a nudging to go out to stop and to go out and look behind the garage. And, she, and there's nothing behind the garage normally. So she said she probably blew it off, you know, the first time she heard it, but then it got, you know, it was stronger. And she said, when I ever got out there, she said it was, it was a, the, you know, a mother's worst nightmare. Mm. And of course the kids kept going. So they, I was just dangling away, waiting for someone to save me. And what I do remember is when I came back into my body, when she was shaking me, I thought, oh, what did I do now? I'm in trouble. You know, it's kind of that feeling like um, I came back into my body and I remember everything just hurting. It was almost like all of my nerves were coming alive again mm. and kind of crashing back into your body. It kind of sounds like you were in the black void for a while, but it seems like once you got into the blackness, you kind of went unconscious until you woke up in your body. Is that correct? That sounds correct. Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden I was back. I do feel like I went somewhere. It, I was not in my body anymore. I wasn't viewing anything. I was in this tunnel of, of, I don't know. It felt familiar as well. You know, that in-between space, it wasn't anything that I felt afraid of. Um, and even in my struggle, even when I was struggling to um, undo myself, the panic stopped. All of a sudden there was a calmness about it. Like this is okay. Or this is, this just is. And, um, and it was this, a trust or an accepting 
of, oh, I guess this is it, or, oh, here I am. And as a seven-year-old, you would think that there'd be a lot of fear there. There really wasn't, which was interesting. It was just kind of like, okay, and like an unspoken understanding. So, After that experience, did you notice any type of changes within your psyche or your personality? I think I always was... um, I used to, even at a, at a, as a young age, as young as I can remember, I could always see people. And that was the first gift that I was comfortable with, was being able to see, which I would call my transparent people and my solid people. Now, we're the solid people. My transparent people were, you know, other entities, saints, ghosts, whatever we want to call it. Um, they were my transparent people. Um, and so I always had that and I, I really wasn't aware because I don't think at that age, you don't know, you just assume everybody has in, gets that intuition, that understanding. You just don't, you don't ask where it came from. You just go, oh yeah, isn't that the way, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Let's move on to your second one. Okay. So the second one was, I was 24. And I was delivering my last child. I have three children. And I was, um, it was post-labor. Everything went fine. Labor was fine um, until um, post-cesarean section at the surgery. I'm in recovery. And I could feel something different. Something was happening to my body. And I knew it wasn't right because I'd had two C-sections before that. So I was kind of like, understood what the process was and I said oh something's not right and the nurse was like oh don't worry about it you're fine you're fine and I said no I really feel funny and she said well your your you know your blood pressure and everything it's okay so not to worry and um plus your your surgeon is in surgery with somebody else so you'll have to wait till after that surgery is over before he can deal with you anyways so I said okay so now I'm getting this impending doom feeling coming on and I know something's wrong. I know something's wrong really bad and nobody's listening to me. And so now I've got my, my husband, my ex-husband. And I said, you know, something's wrong. You've got to get someone to listen to you because I know something is really not good. And so Nobody seemed to listen. It was really crazy. Nobody listened. Nobody was paying attention. Oh, don't worry about it. You're fine. Your doctor will come in to see you in a little bit. And um, so like an hour and a half later, by the time he was done with his other surgery and was able to see me, uh, my blood pressure now was tanking. It's dropping. They can't, they can't figure out what's happening because they, um, a clot had formed and I wasn't, I wasn't showing blood. So they couldn't figure out what was happening and I was bleeding out internally. And so by the time they could figure it out, it was too late. And so I kept, I was in internal bleeding is very painful. And so I was in extreme amount of pain and I kept asking for, uh, they they were giving me the most medication they possibly could anymore, and that was going to be a problem. And I kept asking to see my baby, 
because I just delivered my baby and I haven't seen the baby yet because now I'm in, I'm in a, an issue. And um, they kept denying me. They're like, no, you can't see your baby. No, you can't see your baby. And I said, I really need to see my baby because I'm dying. And they're like, you're not dying. You're fine. And now they're yelling at me because they're, they're panicking and they know I'm dying, but they don't want it. So yelling at me made them feel better. I'm not very sure. So then I'm like, well, and then this extreme pain that went on for at least an hour, I couldn't go back to surgery because my, I had no more blood left. Basically my blood pressure was so low that they would have lost me in surgery. So they're trying all these things. And, um, and then all of a sudden that extreme pain stopped. And I mean, I was conscious, I was aware. I knew that I like, I was, I felt like I was just done trying to um, advocate for myself. <laughs> no one's listening to me. It doesn't really matter. They wouldn't even give me oxygen. I'm like, I don't think I'm breathing. Can I at least get some oxygen? And they didn't want to get like, No, you don't need it. And I'm like, okay, this is crazy. I'm out here. <laughs> like, that's it. I've done everything I could. They wouldn't even let me see my baby one last time. And, and that was the last thing I remember asking was, you know, let me see my baby one, one more time before I go. You're not going anywhere. And then um, this surrender just came over me. It was the most beautiful, peaceful tranquil moment that I will never forget. Um, it was this wonderful surrender that just, I just came to terms with everything went, Oh, okay. I guess this is, this is it. You know, it kind of like, it was the same understanding as when I was hung myself on the fence by accident. Um, it was that, Oh, I guess this is it. Oh, okay. It was, there was no fear. No, I mean, the human aspect of me was how is my husband going to take care of three children, <laughs> you know, an infant and two babies under, you know, under five, right? three children under five, that was not going to happen. And that was my, my fear, but that then went away. Um, almost as if it was a, it was like this unspoken word that everything's going to be okay. It'll be okay. It, everything has a process and everything will be as it shall. And they went, okay, I trusted that wherever that was coming from. I, I didn't know at that moment, but I was like, okay. And, um, the pain lifted. I slowly stopped breathing. Um, so even in my, um, in my live state, I was already doing the, the death process. It was still, I'd say probably a half an hour of this death process before I actually went to the other side. And so there was this time of understanding and calmness and quiet. And, and then, and it was probably me not wanting to let go of, you know, my children and my family. And then when I realized it was, you know, nothing I could do that I let go and it was quick, like it was brightest beautiful white light you could ever imagine and then I was there and where there is I'm really not sure but um it was a very beautiful place I think some would call it heaven um you know I'd hate to label it as anything because it really felt like almost an in-between 
or a holding place. It kind of sounds weird, but um, it was, um, I was all in white. I was younger. I, as in my visual self, as I'm looking at myself, I went to a time that I felt good. Um, and so I was a couple years younger as I'm standing there. And I'm in this non-dimensional space that is, was really bright and, but very foggy. And I'm standing there alone and I'm calling out to the people that I can sense. So you can kind of see people through the fog, but I couldn't see, there were, there were shadows. Um, there was no one that I, I could recognize, but I knew them, which was a weird statement. Um, so I'm like, hey, everybody, I'm here. Isn't this great? I'm all excited. And look, I made it all. But I was so excited. And I wasn't getting any feedback. And I was the only one that was speaking. Everyone else was, was t- using telepathy. I could, I could understand them, but I was the only one still verbally speaking. And um, have you ever had that moment when you walk into a room of people and, and something tragic has happened or something intense is happening and you're, you walk in all bubbly and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, what's happening? That's how I felt. I landed and I was so excited. I walked into this room going, Yahoo, where's my party? And everyone's like, oh yeah, about that. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah. And then I was like, but no one would tell me. And I was like so frustrated. And um, and then this most amazing woman spoke up and she said, Susan, come over here. And I, I go over there and I'm now whining because I'm like, I made it here and now I have to go, oh, something's like, why, where's my party? And I'm like, oh, whining up in heaven. It was like, wonderful. So I'm, I was, I climbed up on this woman's lap and she was the most amazing maternal um, the most beautiful soul ever. And she was just gentle and kind and quiet. And she just let me go and ramble on and how I want my party. <laughs> it was just like this big thing. And, um, and then she just quieted me and she said, you know, it was her time to explain what was going on. And she said, you know, we've made a mistake. I said, well, what? And she said, yeah, we, we, there was a little mistake and um, you weren't supposed to die just yet. And I was like, so I'm not, I'm not supposed to be here. Do I have to go home? Like what, what, what happens? Like what, what happens, you know? And she said, um, well, because you've made it, we can't send you home because you've made it. You're here. So we're going to let this decision be up to you. And I said, well, I really, you know, I kind of like it here. This is great. And, you know, like, and she said, well, if you're willing to go with these two kind of like angelic presences and they just kind of, kind of 
I went with them and they said, okay, I agreed. I was like, okay, I'll go with them. And, and she says, so what you will do is you're going to, you're going to see your past, present and future. And then you can decide if you'd like to stay and then you can stay. And if you'd like to go back, then you'll go back. And I said, okay. So I went with these two angelic guides. They took me now to a different space. It was like a darkened movie theater. And so I'm just watching my life, past, present, future in quantum time. It's, you know, it was like, and all of a sudden I had this intense panic. It's like, ah, when I, I swore, it's like, oh shit, I gotta get back home. I have like within that second of I have to get back ASAP, it's already too late. Um I left that space, I crashed into my body, and I I took that gigantic breath of life again. And when I did every cell even my eyelashes everything hurt it felt like i was falling from the empire state building onto shards of glass and nails and anything you could possibly think of that was sharp and i landed and it was just you know i took this huge inhalation and then just was like oh and um the first thing that i said was um, a swear word. <laughs> I went, oh, I chose this. F word, I went, oh, Mudge, I chose this. And knowing that that was a conscious decision to come back here. And, and then my life started back up again. And, um, but I was not the same. That was pretty traumatic because I had made it, um, you know, my ex had said that I, they lost me four times uh, in in that whole process. And um, so when I came back, my life was going to be totally different from that moment on. Susan, thank you for sharing that with us. Was the woman that you sat on her lap an angel? Because she had to be big in order for you to sit on her lap. And it's pretty common for people to describe to me as angels being like 10 feet tall. She was very large. Um, She never introduced herself. It was an understanding that I knew who she was. Um, It was the Blessed Mother. Uh, I sat there on her lap and it was just the most maternal most beautiful energy. I will never forget it. Um, What was interesting is that her face was, was nondescript. It was blurred out. And I, I thought back to that and I thought, okay, could I describe her? And I said, Oh, but she was so beautiful. What did she look like? Well, you know, I don't know what color were her eyes. Well, I, you know, and I don't know, but she was just so beautiful. Okay, so what does that mean? You know, is is she energy form? And so I've created what was comfortable for me as energy form. Does is she her energy form change with any anyone else? You know, and everyone else. So those are the questions over all these years. It's been thirty one years since that experience. 
When you say the Blessed Mother, are you referring to Mother the Mary of Jesus? Yes. Yes. Are you Christian? Yes. Yes. Um, I have um, spiritual. I am spiritual. Am I religious? Do I, you know, have I fallen away from my Catholic? um, And if I ask my mother, I fell away from my Catholic upbringing. But um, uh, no, I feel closer to my religious belief, my spiritual belief than I ever have. I've heard before that 50% of the people who have an NDE end up in divorce. Is your divorce related to your NDE? Um, I don't think so. I there was, you know, and it, and it may have, there was a lot of things going on for us at the time. Um, we were going through the Gulf War and um, my ex is a Marine. So there was a lot of things that were happening for him and financially, and there was a lot happening at that time that um, flipped our world upside down. So I wouldn't blame it on the near-death experience, but it definitely was, um, I was not the same. I was not the same partner. In what way? Um, I was, now I was driven. I, I was driven to help. Um, I two months after I hear I have this near death experience. Two months later, I signed up to uh, a, a six month long EMT class at the college. Now I have two children. I have three children. One's an infant, and now I'm going through college class. And I thought, oh my god, today I look back and go, oh, it was crazy. Who would do that? But my need to um, connect with those who were in that uh, near death experiencing experiences, I should say, um, those who are, you know, in motor vehicle accidents and things like that were really um, important for me to be there. I was drawn to being in those traumatic situations. Now, was it because of other things that have happened or because I went through something that was very traumatic? Maybe, you know, maybe I wanted to make a difference, you know, or, or felt that way at that time. When you saw your future, did you see your future of your family without you and what it would be like to be without you? Or did you see your future with you in it? I got to see both. I got to see both. And um, and that was actually when I saw that, and that was when I was actually still alive, but going through the death process in that half an hour before I left. I got to see that and I went, oh, that's not going to be good. I I really felt so bad for my ex because he was, he was totally overwhelmed and it was just, I could, you know, you're grieving the loss of a partner and now you're dealing with three little ones. Um, And uh, so, yeah. And it's interesting because past, present and future all happened all at the same time. So you weren't watching one thing. Your brain is, it was giving your brain something that clearly it could handle, but something I wasn't aware that it could handle. Hmm. Yeah, it was very interesting. 
Now, after this NDE, did you notice that you had any new abilities that you didn't have beforehand? Yeah, I was a lot more psychic than I thought it was, or all of a sudden it was coming. Um, I and I, I felt like it was a gift for going back. You know, thanks, thanks for taking one for the team. You're going back here. Here's a little, here's a little extra, extra. Um, that's what it felt like. Is now weird things were happening. And, um, I had this knowing that I didn't know what, where it was coming from. And I would just say things, it would just kind of fly out. And then I'd be like, they'd be like, who told you that? I, we didn't tell anybody that. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I don't know. I just made it up. You know, like I get really nervous and go, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And you know, you'd run away from it going, oh, that's got to stop happening. Um, and it never did. It just kind of flows out. It keeps, you know. It just happens. So you would just kind of blurt out things that you were seeing right. that would happen in the future. Right. Yeah. And I had no control over it. And if I would get mad, like if I was really mad, I usually don't get mad at people, but when I do, it's not good. And I would just say, well, blah, blah, blah. And, I'd, and I'd throw out something and they'd be, we'd be like, and I'm like, oh, I don't know what that meant. And I don't know where that came from. And I've been, I would apologize, but it was like, yeah, well, you're going to get yours. So you just better watch out. And I'd be like, oh, 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 sorry. So it was really awkward. It was very weird. Um, so we did a lot of training. I, I, I um, sought out shamans from all over the world. And I wanted to learn a little bit about each one and what, whatever they had to help me figure out what was going on. I had no idea. And, and it just kind of opened. It wasn't like, okay, so next week, this is what's going to happen. We're going to slowly ease into the psychic thing. It was like, boom. Hmm. And uh, it, it was tough. It was really tough. Like I would hear children crying and screaming and it was like in a bus and I would get this vision of children crying and screaming in a bus and I'd turn on the tv and they're like oh bus accident in Michigan bus rolls off the ravine and you know I'm like okay that's not helpful <laughs> I don't want to know this I'm not in Michigan I can't stop that so I need to know how to control that because I still need to function and and be as normal as I possibly can um, and so that's when I, you know, started seeking other people to kind of guide me through the process. Have you at that time told anybody about your first or second experience? No, you know, Irish Catholics were really good at not talking. <laughs> Don't tell. It was like the, you know, it was a really something that we just didn't do. We don't share a lot. We just, it's over. Let's get past it. Forget about it. Forget about it. And, um, so I, I really didn't. And it's, look, it's, I'm, what am I, I'm 56. And it's taken me this long to really kind of share in depth all of them. Because I know that there's something that I've gone through that it can be so helpful for somebody else in their experience. And just before COVID, I wanted to um, create a group so that we could get together and um, have a place, a safe place for people to tell their story. And then COVID hit. 
So that kind of fell by the wayside, unfortunately. So thank you for having your show. I appreciate that. Thank you for being my guest. By the second time, had either one of those experiences made any impact on your beliefs as a Catholic? Um, I, yeah, interesting enough, I did share my experience with my mom. And I said, you know, that I had um, my whole experience with uh, um, Blessed Mary and how I sat on her lap and how I was there. And of course I got, I got chastised and it's blasphemy. And who was I to think that I, she would even come to me and, you know, less than only, why would she pick you? And and I'm sure she didn't mean those in, in those terms. It, once again, it was her fear, her fear. And so I, I went, okay, yeah, we can't share this with anybody again because that did not go well. So we're just not going to share. And, um, but I know, I mean, you could hook me up to a lie detector. I could, you know, I, I know my experience. And I think that that really, if nothing else, is such an important message that your experience is yours and no one can take that away. And as crazy as it sounds or as different as it, or it's not like any other near-death experience experience, for anyone else, like it's still yours and you get that and you get to own that for the rest of your life until other lifetimes of that may be. So. All right. If you don't mind, let's move on to your next one. Okay. What was my next one? Um, I was, um, so in my need to save the world, uh, I was a firefighter. I worked as an EMT and I also worked as a police officer. Because why do one, right? When you can save all the world. So um, I, uh, while directing traffic, I got hit by a car. Um, and the, um, I needed surgery. And so I had injured my knee. And during well, post-surgery, I had um, at some point passed a clot during my sleep. And I, um, they, when I got up to move, the clot moved. I looked at my, my leg, it was really black. And I went, oh, that's not good. Maybe I was sleeping funny. So I went to get up in the morning and do my routine and, and walking around and it dislodged. And three days later, um, it, I passed it through my heart again. And because of my age, they said that I survived it. Normally the, the situation that I was through, how I passed it twice, they're like, no one ever does that. Like, that's crazy. And um, so there's a big thing in the fire department. Like if you, ha- you got your chance to die, uh, where would you want to die? And place I never would want to die is on the toilet. That was that place you never want to die. Um, and where I was working with all these people that I knew, I didn't want people that I worked with to, to, to find me dead on the toilet. That was not going to happen. And so um, I knew I was getting sick. I just didn't know which end. And so I went to the bathroom. And that's when all of a sudden 
the clot goes through my heart, it stops, I, I fall forward, slumped over, and I'm like, ah, damn it, this is that thing again. I'm here again, this feeling. I'm dead again. And that was, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. What the heck? And I'm having this like little conversation with myself. And then I realized I was looking, kind of looking at myself and I went, oh, hell no, I am not dying on the toilet. That was like, it is not happening. Vanity, whatever we're going to call it. I, I immediately panicked thinking, oh, oh, okay. Maybe I have enough in me that I can just like, I'm not dying here. This is not where I'm dying. Um, even if I can get off the toilet and get my pants on, like I was thinking all these crazy things. This was not where I wanted to die. And within that thought, maybe it was the adrenaline, the panic, I don't know, my heart started bleeding again. And I mean, I was a mess. I was enough that I could, it took me a while. It, was, it took me about a half an hour to really regain enough flow, blood flow, oxygen, enough to move, to be able to, um, call for help even just to, to open my mouth and call for help because I had a roommate sleeping upstairs and um they couldn't hear me and I lied there going this is the worst ever and I was very fortunate I was able to uh get to a, a, the phone and uh make a call but um yeah that was that was a crazy one but it was that space where I was more viewing my body than out and going. I hadn't taken off. So I hadn't been, and I don't really know why I didn't take off, but it was different than the other two, which was definitely a out of here. And the first one was a kind of out of here, but in the void, this one was just hanging out with me in the bathroom, kind of like watching myself, trying to get out of it. <laughs> It's kind of like a first stage. You just kind of popped out of your body and, and you didn't even make it to like the void or a staging area or anything. You were just kind of there and, and popped back in. Right. Now, I wonder, I always think, okay, if this happened, say, in my bedroom or in the middle of the night, would have I, would, I probably would have left because I think that it was just so traumatic for me to die in that fashion <laughs> that it wasn't going to happen. And, um, so I felt like I kind of got, I was on borrowed time. Like I was like, oh, I, I escaped that one. Whew. So, um, so that was that one. It reminds me of another guest I had who was doing a drug in a club and had died. And he'd realized it would be too embarrassing for his family for him to go out that way. And that, I think, was the catalyst for him to come back. Isn't that funny? I've never met somebody else that was just as horrified. Like, oh my God, I can't do this. And that was it. That's funny. Thank you for sharing that. That's mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. yeah. I think most of the times when a person chooses to come back, it's probably they need to take care of their family or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, or they want to be with their children. Right. Yeah. Like I'm at now at this point, I'm a single mom, mm -hmm. so I, I don't have time for this. <laughs> right, but, but you and this other guest where they didn't want to be in an embarrassing situation. 
Right, exactly. <laughs> Don't want to be caught with your pants down. Mm-mm. So I think the number one place where people do die in their house is their bathroom. It is. Yeah, it's that first morning business that gets you. And so after seeing enough of those working on the, you know, the fire department, the rescue, I was like, that is not it. So anyways. All right, well, let's move on to the next one. Okay. And so in between, just a little sidebar. So in between all of this, I had been struck by lightning twice. Wow. Yeah. One when I was 16. um, And then one later, um, just after this incident. And both were um, quite electrifying. (laughs) But not enough to, uh, I don't count them as near death. I, I was zapped, but it wasn't like the others. But it was, it was an interesting little side note. Um, okay, so the next one is, um, it's Christmas time, Christmas Eve. And I am in a passenger in a vehicle, motor vehicle. And we're heading to get last minute stocking stuffers and food preparations and blah 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 and we are um picking up some things we pull out and we're in the vehicle and we are in a motor vehicle accident and we're hit by this really big truck and we were in a big truck so um i uh you know, we spin around a thousand times. We, the driver's head hit the steering wheel and it bounced off the steering wheel and it hit me in the chest right over my heart. And, um, and it stops my heart. And I'm, and this was so interesting as well, you know, from a scientific point of view, because we're, the car stops and everything is now stopped and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking wow it's really quiet like everything was just eerily quiet and I thought what is going on this is weird what is happening that was the first thing I recognized was this strange silence and what had happened was there was nothing going on in my body so your heart and the blood and your other your other organs makes a lot of noise and you don't realize it until everything shuts down. And it was really quiet. But I hadn't died yet. I was still in that probably that five to eight minute period of silence. And, and then at some point, I'm, I take a shift and I'm looking, you know, I just remember looking going, huh, nothing hurts. I'm kind of like, oh. I guess we got into a car accident, kind of like whatever's happening, blah, blah, blah. Not a big deal. There's no panic, you know, and I, and that's when I was like, ah, damn it. I am dead again. This is it. I can tell, like, I not again. And my feet were, I was above the cab, but my feet were still in my body. Like I kind of lifted up. And I was still connected from my head and I was half out of the cab, but I could, I was able to look down into, into the cab 
as if it was like this 3D see-through type of thing. And I was able to view myself and the person driving. And, and then I realized, you know, as I'm looking at, at the Christmas things and I went, oh, hell no. It is Christmas Eve. I have three children waiting for me at home. I have to cook dinner. I haven't even wrapped presents. I had this long list of going on. I have a pile of dirty laundry. I have the clothes that these people like I was going through everything possible of why I was not going to leave. And I was mad. I was furious. And I was having this conversation with what I would say God, but it felt like more than one person. It almost felt like a council and almost as if I was debating my case about why I am not leaving today. And I got really mad and I was yelling and I said, how dare you take me on Christmas Eve away from three children who they're now not going to have a mother and you're going to ruin Christmas forever. And I'm ranting away like a crazy mother and and got really protective. And I said, you know what? Let's make a deal. You take me any other time. I don't care. Just not today or tomorrow because tomorrow's Christmas. No, take me whenever, but not now. Let me figure this out. And um, I think because I got so angry, there was so much passion in having to stay and being willing to negotiate <laughs> that. And I didn't hear, it was a one-sided, very one-sided conversation. It was like, they were just letting me spout off and ramble on and blah, 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 and make all these statements. And they just listened very compassionately. It was like, I was the only one mad. They were like, it's okay, Susan, not to worry. I, I never heard those words, but I felt like it was okay. Like they just listened. And then I just came back into my body and that's when everything hurt again. Like even your little eyebrows, and my, my eyelashes hurt and like my everything, every cell in my body once again came alive and it hurts. Why do you think it hurts coming back in your body? Or I why does know. it? I mean, for me, I mean, maybe this is just a unique experience for me. Um, I think because you're turning on the nerve connections, that your nerves are now, every cell and fiber in your body is now turning back on. And that's got to be why. It's like, I wonder if that's what it feels like being born, you know, coming out and just being born. I, it, that, it just that was my experience. It's interesting because I think some of the times that people will say it hurts, it's they've also had themselves resuscitated or something. So I just assumed mm-hmm. it was due to that medical procedure, but right. you're not having that procedure and it still hurts. Right. And, and at no point did I have ever had, you know, the paddle. So no, I think it's just your body's now turning back on. I mean, I was out of my body. So when I came back into my body, which was kind of interesting, when I came back into my body, I came in sideways. I didn't come in straight. And um, I had, and I'll tell the story of how that came up. Um, I had um, almost like, uh, it was kind of transient amnesia. I would have these periods of time where I would meet the same person like five or six times and go, Oh, it's wonderful to meet you. Like I was 
setting the dinner table or going to get my daughter at soccer and the kids would be like, mom, where are you going? I'm like, oh, I'm going to go get my daughter from soccer. And they're like, uh, she's, you already picked her up. And I'm like, oh, so there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, neurological misfiring happening. And I went to the best doctors in Boston and he just said, you know what? There's, I don't see anything wrong with you. I can't, I, you know, unless you want to take the medicine, the drugs that we're going to give you, um, there's nothing else I can do to help you. He says, unless you want to go to a shaman and then that's your only option. And he was being facetious. And I went, Oh, Oh my God, you're right. That's what I need to do. And I got up and he's like, no, no, I, I didn't mean that as I said, no, that's exactly what I need to do. I need holistic medicine. And that's when I left and I did see somebody and he said, have you, it was so cool. He said, if you're half out of your body, you're not incorrectly. He said, did something happen to knock you out of your body? And I told him about the car accident and he goes, yep. And he did some stuff. And within 10 minutes, he goes, no, you're fine. Now you'll be better. And I came back into my body. I was secure. My transgenomnesia went away. I was able to think clearly. And it was amazing. He said, you're half in, half out. So you're getting half of the information. He says, you're not completely there. So, Hmm. yeah. All right. While we still have time left, let's move on to your fifth one. Okay. All right. So the last one was just a couple of years ago. I had some skylights in my house that uh, we had a bad nor'easter storm. Uh, the skylight started leaking and um, I was going to work on it and fix it and try to see if I could rectify the situation or at least take down the sheetrock that was really wet and soggy. Um, and I was working on the house by myself and I was up on a ladder and I have cathedral ceilings, so they're pretty high. And I'm cutting away at the sheetrock. And the builder didn't put strapping in the ceiling. This may be too much information. So the sheetrock wasn't secured. It was only secured by maybe just a handful of, of sheetrock screws. And uh, I was assuming it was done correctly and it wasn't so as I'm making my cuts assuming that it was secure um almost a whole sheet of sheetrock let go and um started to fall and at that same time I was using a tool that cuts the sheetrock pretty cool pretty fast and my cord got stuck And so I turned to look to undo my cord. And when I did, it saved my life, actually. So I turned, instead of being straight on and taking it straight on, which then would have sent me out the window um, behind me, I uh, got it caught in the side of the head. And it cracked me in the side of the head and it knocked me off. And I was able to land on my feet, which I don't know how I did that either. but. that's for the most part. I mean, it, it saved my life so that I had this moment. I had, a, I had, I bought me some time. So I took a blow to the head. I, I saw my phone. I had about 15 steps uh, to grab my phone and then get out of the construction site. Cause I was like, Oh, this is not going to be good. I can tell already grabbed my phone, laid down in the hallway before I passed out, 
And before I could call 911, I was out. And I was out for two hours. At one point, I did come back. Everything was spinning. And then I passed out again. So I don't really know because I was alone. I don't know exactly what happened other than I'm in that void. I'm in that that space, that dark void. And it was really comforting. There was no pain. It was very soothing. It was familiar. It felt like home. And and then I heard my mother's voice. And my mother had passed um, two years prior to that accident. And I heard my mother's voice. And she said, Susan, are you bleeding? And I went, nope. You know, I remember I like, I checked my hands afterwards, but I was like, nope, I'm not bleeding. And she said, good, you're going to be fine. Get up. And I went, you know, kind of like came back. And that was kind of always our thing. Like if I was to get hurt, are you bleeding? No. Okay. You're fine. And it was like kind of a, a kind of a joke, you know, kind of a funny joke. So here I am hearing my mother's voice again going, Susan, get up. You're fine. You're, you're gonna, you're fine. Like you can't stay. And I was like, oh, why can't I stay? Why do they keep kicking me out? Um, and uh, so I, I think I passed out again after that because I looked at my hands and then I was like, nope, there's no blood. I'm, I'm fine. And then boom, I passed out again. Um, and that was, that was it. I finally woke up. I was able to sit up. I was able to go, I drove myself to the emergency room, which was stupid, but it was not too far away. So I got there and, uh, and they were like, we, I keep hearing the same thing. I don't know why you didn't die. People that, that fall or get bumps in the head with a lot less don't survive this. We don't know why you're alive. And uh, it's like, well, my mother said I was fine. So <laughs> I'm going to go with that. So. Yeah. I believe your mother died after your fourth NDE. Mm-hmm. How did you yeah. take your mother's transition after your fourth NDE? You know, how did you take your mother's transition since you already had four NDEs? Was it upsetting to you or you felt like, oh, she just crossed over to the other side? What was upsetting was um, her belief system very, very strict Catholic was um, not within she tolerated now my my new aged version of religion and you know in in helping people pass on i I helped many friends pass over um, people would come in and, and say, "Can you help my family member?" I would go and I would do that for them and um but I couldn't help my mother. She wouldn't let go. And she, um, it took her 12 days of suffering, of just sitting, hanging on. Now, whether she was suffering or not, I don't know. It was suffering for me to watch her holding on. I kept saying, mom, can I help you yet? And I, and it was, I was getting that, no, this needs to be her choice. This process is her process. And I had to, except that 
this was going to be her way. And it had to be, this was her death and, and in life and in death, it's gotta be your own way. And it was, it was so crazy for me because it helped so many people pass over. Can't I help her, my own mother? No. And it was so painful and just sitting there 24 seven between my sister and I watching her and helping her and, and um, making sure she was as comfortable and, and you know, as possible. And then when she finally left at the very end, um, yeah, she did it her way. <laughs> she just did it her way. And I had to honor that and find comfort in that. Um, but she did come afterwards. She came two months later to visit, to come to me. So that was wonderful. Was that in a dream? Um, no. So I also do table tipping. It's um, a physical mediumship. And where you can talk to, like, I can talk to people that have passed, but I want to be able to help others to heal their process with the people that they love. Um, so I have clients and we come to this, it's an old Victorian table and the table tips and moves um, with messages from, you know, past loved ones to the people that are here at the table. And um, that's when my mother came. I went to visit this woman that does table tipping and she, I didn't expect my mother to come. Um, but I was, I was told to, by spirit, I was told to go learn or to at least witness this and see this, that I needed to go see this woman and learn what she was doing. And so I was there kind of learning and then my mother came through and I was blown away. I was absolutely blown away how healing that was for me. And for my mother. When you say you were told by spirit, can you be a little, mm -hmm. can you tell me a little bit more about how that happened? Oh, sure. So I, I picked up a really great guide in between one of these near death experiences. Mm -hmm. I think it was the, uh, the second one. And so I had a, um, I have a really good working relationship with this guide and um, it's an angelic guide they give me the heads up on what I need to know. They help me when I do my readings or do any of my work, basically. I'm just kind of the vessel and they uh, use my physical body to do healings, to give messages, um, to work with table, to help people that way. And, um, or whatever, wherever they send me, whatever they see that they need me. So it sounds like at that point, you're, a, you're channeling your guide then. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. They're very physically, uh, they're right there. They're always just like kind of right there. Um, and so I do. So when I do my readings, I would, I ask, you know, I get your permission. I ask your guide to connect with my guide or my guide to connect with your guide. And then they kind of, as I see it, kind of tattle on you tell me everything that I need to know for your highest good. And I don't waste time on what happened in the past, your cat's name when you were seven. I mean, that doesn't matter to you. It's about you here moving forward and navigating on this planet for the period of time that you're here. And how can we make that most beneficial? Because that's really what it's about. And, um, and so your guide lets me know everything. And my guide tells me, and uh, that's how I do my readings. In your first two NDEs, obviously it came down to you surrendering 
I didn't hear you use that word with your others. Did you experience that when you were helping other people transition that they needed to surrender? And do you think surrendering is the key? I would say surrender is the key. It's coming to that place because I did need to just kind of with the first two was just after I realized no one was listening to me, I wasn't going to get oxygen. I wasn't going to get the medical help that I needed. I knew I was dying. I just had to surrender and it was okay. Like Susan, it's just going to be okay. And that was what I, the message I got was all of our fussing and worrying in our physical human experience. Really when you make that change, it's all gone. All of that um, ego presence, like I have to be here doesn't mean anything there really isn't any ego when you step across the you know into the void all that goes away and I think that when I was um in the bathroom and that one of the near-death experiences was my ego was very strong I am not dying with my pants down on the toilet that was not going to happen that's all ego and so um it you know I was, it was the, I was the only one that, no one else would have been horrified. I was the only one that was horrified. So ego, definitely, there's no place for that on the other side. That all has to surrender. You have to surrender that human experience of all of that stuff to make it across and go. Do you feel like the other side is at least just as real as this side or even more real? Mm, It is very real. Yeah, it's, um. Um, you know, I have, I think I have more friends on the other side than I do human friends. So there's, um, yeah, it's, it's happening. You know, sometimes people will say, oh, can you, you know, talk to Aunt Edith for me? And I'm like, well, she's kind of really busy right now. She says she can't. You know, like, so it looks like just because we want to talk, she's not sitting here waiting for some human to call her up and say, hi, we miss you. Mm-hmm. She's got her stuff. She's like living her best life over there. Yeah. Like she's come to terms with everything. And there is a process. There is a huge process that we go through. Uh, we just don't shift over and it's amazing. There's a, there's a, there's like a, uh, almost like an intake. And uh, you know, like we have to like fill all these paperwork and stand in this line and you're next and kind of, I mean, it's not that, that human experience type of feeling, but it's that same thing. You have to process and some people don't, some people really struggle. And so they, they're, they can't allow, they can't let the ego go, but they're, they are dead. So where do they go in that in between place? And would you say they become ghosts? Um, you know, suffering souls. Yeah, they're they're those people that just can't let go, or can't let go of tangible items. If you have, if you need possessions, like you really love your car, you know, and yeah, you, I could, I've seen people like not want to leave their possessions or not want to leave their home because it's their home. And um, it's like, dude, this isn't your home anymore. You got to go. It's it's okay. Um, so one of the um, shamans that I learned from helped me to um, work with um, entities 
and seeing what happens and, and working with things, possessed items and helping them move over. You'll see a lot of shows that like talk to them and get them all riled up, but they don't help these people. There's somebody's son or daughter or family member, help these people move over to the other side so that they can find peace. That's gratifying to me. That I, I've just saved us all. Someone that's not suffering anymore. Now, is anyone making them suffer? No, I think it's our own suffering. We can be our own worst enemies. And I think from my perspective is the only suffering they had was they were creating it and perpetuating it. And it was ruminating and ruminating. It's like, oh my gosh, let that go. It's okay. I see from time to time, someone will say in a comment, I died and I saw nothing and I came back. Do you think it's because they just don't remember or maybe they were just unconscious and didn't do anything? Um, well, when you go into the black void, there's nothing. You're, you're in that in-between space and there's nothing there. So maybe you just were like, Whoop, there's nothing. I didn't see anything. Um, but when I was unconscious on the floor and there was nothing as well. Like I didn't even have the black void. I just was in a space and I heard my mom's voice. So, and her voice was what brought me back. Basically telling me it's not your time. It's more to do. Go back. Um, it's kind of like shoots and ladders, you know, you climb up, I shoot down. I'm like, Oh, um, but, um, yeah, so in each each one of the, my five scenarios, they were each different and each very, very unique. And so no two people are going to have the same near-death experience. You know, we, we are all unique, and so our death experience is going to be unique. What happens next after you get processed? Do you stay there for eternity, or do you come back, or do you go somewhere else, or what? I see this a lot with um, overdosing. Uh, people that have overdosed, they sit in a space of, they're lost for a little while. They don't know because they're still in there. They don't know if it's their drug-induced space or they're just confused. They're still confused. And if they can slow down long enough to listen to their guides, they're not alone. They're not sitting in nowhere land out there floating in space. They're actually in a space with loved ones and their guides and they, but they can't get out of their own way. You know, when you're in your, you're just in your mind and you can't stop a thought or something and you're just in that space, that's kind of it. it there's no clear thought for them. Because when they died, they were in that drug space, which is out of their body anyways. So I think when you're out of your body and then you get, then you die, where do you go? I don't know. I just know that they sit in this in-between place. They can get out of it. They are at any point in time when they choose to get out of it, they get out of it. And then they move on to healing and forgiveness and love and that unconditionalness. But they don't feel that for themselves. So they wouldn't do that to their body in the first place. So it's a learning process. They have to learn that. And some learn real, some are quick learners. 
you know, you're right. That was horrible. Why would I want to be in that? I want to be in this now. And whoop, over they go. Um, some people that just can't let something go in life. We know, we know those people, right? They can't just, they can't let anything go. They may be those people that could stop a little bit. So it's good to practice self-forgiveness and in being in a good place before you get there to help you make your transition if you're worried about it. That's good advice. I've already gone over my normal, usual time that I do this, so I need to change gears with you. Okay. If people want to reach out to you and ask you questions, are you up for that? And if so, how should they reach you? Oh, yeah, definitely. I love connecting with people. And if I can help in any way, I, I love that. Um, I have a website. It's capecodhappymedium.com. And they can message me there. Uh, it shows different things. I mean, I don't know if you're on Cape Cod in Massachusetts, you can find me. But if you're not and you're someplace else, definitely reach out to me. You can find me, Happy Medium, on Facebook. And it's all one word. Um, and I'm not on Instagram. My Instagram got hacked. I had someone impersonating me and doing readings and collecting money under my wow. name. So I stopped that. Um, so if you need to get me, you can find me at capecodhappymedium.com. All right. Do you have anything else going on that you want us to know about? Um, I am. I started doing table tipping again. Uh, and it's a wonderful opportunity to connect with uh, spirit. All sorts of people come through. Um, I've had Jesus come to the table. I've had the most amazing saints come through. Um, it's it's wonderful because you can smell the fragrance of flowers and um, the energy shifts. And, um, you know, the, the best message that I received uh, like when Jesus came through, he said, um, he said, I, I want more people to come and I want more people to experience this, the, the beautiful love that happens at table. It's just this beautiful feeling um, and healing that takes place. He said, you know, I said, well, you know, do I say that you're here? Cause people are going to get weird and, you know, and I'm already weird because my mom yelled at me once. And so I'm like, he said, no, he says, you don't need to, to, to say it's me. He said, you just can say that there's a beautiful presence here at the table. And I went, oh, okay. He's like, I don't care. If you, do. you know, ego. Yeah, I need, you know, he doesn't care. He's like, that doesn't matter. If, if the end result is that there's peace and love and we can come to a place where we can all coexist. He said, that's what's most important. So, yeah. All right. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? One last positive message. The strongest, most powerful thing that you can do, especially right now where there's a lot of chaos and there's a lot of different um, views trying to pull us in different directions, is if you can start the day in love, that beautiful love feeling, if you can find love for yourself and love for others, that is stronger than anything. That is the most the most strongest energy that you can hold and it's it's so powerful it can break down all sorts of things it can push away the negative that's out there and uh and just walk in your light remember that you're a beautiful soul and shine bright 
so that others can see it, so that we can all recognize each other and stand together in the light. That's the most important thing. Susan, thank you for that message. And thank you again for being my guest. Have a great rest of your evening. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.